so fascinating that the world went from a lack of any contact precautions in public spaces to a complete obsession with sanitizer practically overnight. Prior to the SARS-CoV-2, we walked around in public spaces exposed to all kinds of disease-causing microbes. The concept of sanitizing is well known to healthcare environments though. That along with terms such as decontamination, sterilization and disinfection. Any of you out there feeling a little muddle-puzzled about these terms? Don't worry if you raised your hand. This is an audio-only podcast, so no one saw you. Hello again, listeners. This is Microbe Mail, and I'm your host, Vindana Chipabai. In this and the following episode of Microbe Mail, we'll be dissecting these concepts for a better understanding of which one applies when. Our guest for this two-part series is Dr. Tina Thomas. Tina is a clinical microbiologist with expertise in infection prevention and control. She is based at the Infection Control Laboratory Services at the Witz Medical School. Hi, Tina. It's great to finally have you join me on Microbe Mail. Welcome. Thank you, Vindana, for this opportunity. I'm really proud and happy to be part of this information sharing platform. Hopefully, we can reach out to many near and far. As always, before we head into the content of our episode, I want to remind you to sign up on our website to receive email updates of new episode releases, as well as our episode storyboards. Don't worry, we won't spam bomb attack you. You can also follow us on social media or YouTube for updates. You'll find all the links in our show notes. Be the carrier in this microbe story and help us spread the word. Please share our details with anyone you think might be interested in our content. Okay, Tina, ready to get your hands dirty? Um, Actually, I'm hoping that at the end of this two-part series, we can help create a more clean environment around our patients and ourselves. So in this first of this two-part series, let's focus on the basics. So Tina, can you give us brief, easy to understand and also easy to remember definitions for each of the terms, disinfection, sterilization, and decontamination. Sure. So put simply, sterilization is defined as the process where all of the living microorganisms, including bacterial spores, are inactivated. Disinfection is the process of inactivating living organisms on inanimate surfaces, excluding their spores. There are three levels of disinfection based on the pathogens that are inactivated at each level, and we shall be discussing this later on. Decontamination is the removal or neutralization of any harmful substances, such as infectious pathogens, radioactive or chemical hazards from an environment, object or person. Another term also worth mentioning is antisepsis, which is the use of chemicals or antiseptics on the skin or mucous membranes to rid them of pathogenic organisms. Hence, the term antisepsis should only be used when referring to an animate surface. So what you're saying is antisepsis refers to what you would do on a person, on skin, essentially. That's correct, yeah. So based on what you've just explained, Tina, are there factors which might affect the efficacy of disinfection and sterilization? 
Absolutely. There are several factors which affect these processes, and these include prior cleaning of the surface or object to remove organic or inorganic matter that otherwise may inactivate the sterilants or disinfectants used. Using the correct concentration and exposure time to achieve the required level of disinfection or sterilization, and these are normally recommended by the manufacturer of the product. Physical nature of the object is also very important. It might be more difficult to decontaminate effectively if the object has crevices, lumens or hinges. Also, if biofilms are present in the environment or object, this can reduce the activity of the product used. And lastly, other physical and chemical factors can also affect the efficacy of the decontamination processes. These include temperature, pH, humidity, and even water hardness. Thanks, Tina. So I hear you've mentioned biofilms on objects, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out how would somebody actually know if an object has a biofilm on it? So that's a good question, Vin. Unfortunately, you can't often visualize biofilms with the naked eye, but they are present on surfaces. And this is another reason why cleaning is important before any disinfection or sterilization process. Can you give us some examples of, of those surfaces that you think might have biofilms? Just as kind of a heads up for people to be aware. So hospital surfaces, so any high-touch surfaces can actually uh, form biofilms very quickly. Right. So um, bedside tables, drip stands, okay. um, all of those can, so any high-touch surface essentially can form biofilm very quickly. Okay, that's helpful. And then are there different modes of sterilizing or disinfecting that you can actually talk us through? Yes. So the different modes of these processes can be divided into high temperature or low temperature processes. In the high temperature processes, the sterilizing processes include use of dry heat in the form of incinerators or hot air ovens, or use of moist heat in the form of an autoclave. And I'm sure many of us have heard these terms because they are commonly used sterilizing methods in our hospitals. Other high temperature processes include boiling or pasteurization, which tend to be disinfecting rather than sterilizing processes. In the cold temperature processes, this is where there is use of chemicals, gases, radiation or filters for sterilization or disinfection. So then which ones are the more commonly used uh, methods, Tina? Is it the cold temperature processes? So as I mentioned, in our setting, we do use the high temperature processes. Commonly, we do use incinerators and autoclaves okay. in the hospital setting. But additionally, we also use chemicals and gaseous products, uh, particularly on heat labile equipment or instru instruments and for environmental disinfection. In the hospital setting, UVC radiation is also used for environmental decontamination. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. So what are the different levels of disinfection and how do they affect the activity of the various pathogens? Also, how will a healthcare worker know which product to use and when? So as I mentioned earlier on, the disinfectant levels are divided into three. Low-level disinfection will inactivate most vegetative bacteria, most lipid-enveloped viruses, and some fungi. 
Intermediate level disinfection is one step higher in its inactivation properties and will additionally kill all non-enveloped viruses and mycobacteria. High level disinfection will inactivate all vegetative organisms but not their spores. So based on the pathogens you are trying to eliminate in your setting, be it in your environment, on equipment, or on skin or mucosal surfaces, one can choose the suitable disinfectant level to fit the purpose. And most products do provide the details of their level of disinfection. So all it requires is looking at the package insert to see whether it kills the pathogen that you're looking for or not. Yes, that's correct. Okay, and then for this episode, Tina, the last question I want to ask you is how to classify the disinfection or sterilization of patient care items. Thanks, Vindana, that's for that very important question. It is vital that all equipment used for our patients do not become a vehicle to carry pathogens to them. Patient care items can be divided into three categories, critical items, are those that come in contact with a sterile site, such as surgical instruments, and these have to always be sterilized before reuse. Semi-critical items are those that come in contact with the patient's mucous membranes or non-intact skin. Examples of these are ambubags, endoscopes, laryngoscopes, etc. And these items require high-level disinfection before reuse. And lastly, non-critical items are items used on intact skin. Examples can include BP cuffs or patient crutches, etc. And these items require low to intermediate level disinfection. Okay, thanks for clarifying that, Tina. So although I'm expecting you back for another episode, we can't leave without a spotlight feature. So today we're going to have another cute little mini microbe message. Let's take a listen. Hi. My name is Tamira Pillay. I am 11 years old and I live in Johannesburg. Did you know that the idea of vaccines to prevent infection is over a thousand years old? It was called variolation, fluid from pustules of people who had smallpox was given to uninfected people through scratches in their skin. Historians have traced this practice back to India, China, and some parts of Africa. It was a slave named Juan Simas who was taken from Africa to the United States, who introduced variolation to the Americans. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating fact. Wow, our little ones will definitely take us forward in life. How cute was that? (laughs) Very cute. From my side, I would like to leave the listeners with two take-home messages. Please remember that prior cleaning is mandatory before any disinfection or sterilization procedure. And sterilization and disinfection processes require some understanding on the pathogens you want to eradicate, be it on the environment or on patient care items, and the products being used for this purpose. Ask yourself, will the disinfectant product effectively do the job? Okay, Tina, let's take a break here and we'll chat again on the next episode of Microbe Mail. And for you, our listener, remember to click on the form in the show notes to rate this episode. 
send us some feedback at mail.microbe at gmail.com. And remember, you can always follow us on social media or on YouTube. Until part two of this series, that's it from me. See you again soon for more Contagious Mail.